it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With infinite complacency, people went to and fro the earth about their little affairs. Serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, binning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Thank you for reaching out. It's a pleasure to have you on. And you are a, well, you and your husband both are fine art photographers. You've been published in Vogue and you're also an actress. Uh, I was uh, creeping around your IMDb page and we'll get into uh, a little bit more of the lumberjack man, but you have suffered a lot of broken bones, Amanda. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I was a dream man. Um, an elite level gymnast for many years. Um, and you will acquire quite a few broken bones through that. So. One of your lumbars, I read, huh? Yeah, so I um, I fractured my L3 vertebra on the uneven bars. When I was nine years old, I flew off the uneven bars and landed on my chest with my feet. I would call it scorpion style, like over my head <sighs> and cracked my L3 vertebra. The problem was, I was only nine, so nobody took me seriously when I said my back was hurting. Um, so I actually didn't get medical treatment for that until over a year. Wow. After. Well, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. And if anybody wants to look you up, it's Amanda Moon Ray. And as I said, you're an actress as well, and you've been in movies. You were in a film called Lumberjack Man with Michael Madsen. Love him, by the way. He's amazing. Anytime, like, Quentin Tarantino uses him all the time, I'm like, yes, Michael's in here. Um, so Lumberjack Man is, like, a horror slasher comedy film. And, okay, so what you just said about how you broke your back, essentially, and you scorpioned, well, that's kind of the on-screen death that they gave you in Lumberjack Man. It was pretty horrific. Yeah, so I'm really good friends with the uh, um, the director and the producer of Lumberjack Man. So actually, I helped cast the movie as well as as you know act in it. Um, and while we were casting the movie, um, we were just joking about you know things that had happened in my past. 
And I was telling um, <laughs> Josh and Bill, the, you know, the director and producer of the movie about my break. And, and, and I'm actually a contortionist as well. Like I still, to this day, like, you know, even after having broken my back and several other bones, I can still do all kind of crazy twists as you can see in the movie. Um, and so I'm like, you know, it'd be fun. We should like twist me into a pretzel and do all this crazy stuff. You know, originally I was only supposed to get hit by an ax or something like super, you know, normal, <laughs> but they're like, no, 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 no. Like let's have you twist into a pretzel. And like, I don't know, maybe this demon lumberjack, you know, man can eat a, a pancake off of you or something after he murders you. So it was a lot of good fun. <laughs> yeah. I saw the, because it's and people can just I mean you shouldn't spoil it everyone you should just watch the whole film but you can go on Amanda's IMDb and in some of your you know teaser clips you can watch her death scene and I thought I wonder that's probably her in in that actual position after reading how you broke some bones so that's pretty cool except for the bones sticking out that was you yeah, everything except the bones. Yeah, that, that the bone sticking out of my thighs was CGI. But yeah, yeah all the positions and the Ooh. legs and the feet and all that. Yeah, that was just me uh, wow. fooling around with Brandon, who was in the mask, you know, as Lumberjack Man. And um, poor thing, he he thought he was hurting me the whole time. <laughs> but I'm like, no, it's, fine. it's fine, I bend. <laughs> I don't blame him because, yeah, most people, most people that are not talented in that way would be in a whole lot of pain. So that is very impressive, Amanda. My goodness. You know, full disclosure, I've not seen that that film, um, but it looked like a lot of fun it's to make really, anyway. It's really, it really is. Like, people go into it thinking, like, oh, this is going to be this, like, scary horror movie. And, like, it could be scary if you approach it in the right, you know, mindset. But what we really intended, you know, going into making the film was it for it to be fun and funny and silly. And we really hope that that kind of conveys, <laughs> you know, so. And okay, so as much as I love to talk about movies, and everybody knows that, and I could make comparisons for all kinds of things right now, we could go down a rabbit hole. What we're here to talk about is your own paranormal rabbit hole. And it sounds like it started at quite the early age. And as far as locations and things, you can just give the states if you want. That's totally up to you. And what we may do that you brought up a really good idea because you do have a lot of experiences and some of uh, maybe especially these uh, a, a totally different subject, but we're going to be probably doing a second interview with you for UFOs and maybe bring your husband on or whoever else you think could uh, contribute to, to that chat or anyone else to back up any, any stories that felt like coming on, of course, are welcome. But in this first part, I would like to go in succession, you know, if that's okay with you. And I, I mean, it sounds like, especially in in, in the home, in this haunted house that you grew up in, there was a lot of activity. So, again, you can share what state it is or not. It's totally up to you. But around what year was this? And let's get into the background of that and where this all started for you. Yeah, so sure. So I was born in 1989. And um, so my dad and my mom first bought, we had a ranch-style house. And it was in Florence, Mississippi. I'm, like, totally cool with people knowing where it was. And to most people, if they Googled me, they'd be able to find out like where I grew up anyways. But, and it's funny because, you know, recently there was that documentary that came out about, you know, it was like the house in between. I think the guys from Ghost Hunters, like Steve Gonzalez and them had gone to a house in Florence, which is it's the same exact town. It was like probably a mile from my house. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, what in the heck is this real? Like, did they go to the right house? Oh my gosh. Like, my house was so crazy. So 
Um, they, my parents bought my house when I was probably about one and a half, two years old. I was still like in a crib, you know, I mean, I was very, very little. And I would say this house was built in the forties, if not, um, previous to that, like it had glass doorknobs. Like if you've ever been in those old ranch style houses with the, you know, the doorknobs are like made of glass and we had a wood burning stove and everything was like the really thin wooden floors that creaked if you even breathed on them wrong. You know, it was, it, it was a creepy old house just in and of itself. And it's kind of interesting because my aunt had apparently uh, visited the house before we even moved into it. Um, the woman who owned the house previous to us had babysitted my aunt. And my aunt said, her name is Jennifer, but she said she used to go over there you know, to my house when she was a little girl. And the woman who owned my house was, she would describe her as a witch. Like she would say, she would take me on hikes in the woods and she would collect animal bones and like hang them from the ceiling with herbs and all this stuff, you know, to me, that was very foreign to me as a little kid in the early, early nineties. And we're like, you know, what? I didn't hear this until years later after, until I started telling my aunt, like, gosh, you know, my house is haunted. She's like, yeah, no, duh. <laughs> like the lady who used to end it was like a witch or something. So we, when I was really little baby in a, in the crib still, I can remember like my very first memory actually was waking up in the middle of the night. And I remember looking up at my mobile as any baby would, you know, and it was spinning over my head. And I just remember seeing my mobile turn into spiders and it was like every strand of the mobile was a spider and it was slowly like descending on me as I laid there in my crib and I started screaming you know as any baby would and I remember my mom and my dad like rushing into my room and like checking on me and I didn't even have like the gift of language yet like all I could do was scream and you know be afraid but I couldn't articulate to them what was really going on, which was made it even worse. You know, I just remember being like, oh, like just screaming and being afraid. Like there was these spiders, but I couldn't tell them what was happening. And of course that filed away in my mind because I was just a baby and, and, you know, years and years went on and I just felt uncomfortable in the house, you know, as I would lay in my bed at night, I went from my crib to, I eventually moved into a room that was uh, next door to the nursery into my own bedroom. And I could just hear like scratches on the walls, like all through the night I would lay there and I would think to myself, like, is this like a squirrel that like got into the, the wall or something? Like it just literally sounded like scratching and scratching and scratching, but it happened every single night through every single season. And it didn't make any sense, but, and I wrote it off, like I said, like as rodents or something, but then I would hear footsteps that would go through our hall and we had a you know wooden floor and you could make out footsteps so clearly. I mean, you could just hear the cadence of the footsteps and it got to where I could tell the difference between any family member's footsteps. Like if my dad was walking, I knew that was my dad's footsteps. If my mom was walking, I knew that was her footsteps. You know, everybody walks at a certain pace. But the footsteps I would hear at night didn't match the cadence of anyone else's footsteps. They were slow. They were like prodding and, and just different. They were odd. And it just kept me up at night. And even, you know, being a two or three year old little toddler, I just felt petrified. Like I couldn't, I couldn't walk to my bed by myself. I was just scared all of the time. I can remember seeing like lights out of the corners of my eyes and, you know, movement, you know, you'd see these little movements out of the corner of your eyes and look like you could try and look and see if something was there, but there'd be nothing 
you know, it's just like, what am I seeing? What is this? What is this movement? And it was just incredibly irritating. And I tell my parents, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm having nightmares. I was having just horrible, horrible nightmares. I mean, just the, beyond description that would just go on night after night after night. And this went on, you know, for so long. And I eventually, as I got to be like four or five years old, I started having friends that would like come and stay the night. And this was incredibly validating to me because my friends would have experiences. And then it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it isn't just me. Like, you know, you saw something or you you heard something or felt something, you know, and that that was wonderful. And I remember my friend, um, her name was Jessica Bird. And we were so close. I mean, so, so, so close. And she was probably about five years old. You know, we had met in kindergarten and she had come over for a summer party and, you know, we were having fun, you know, we were having a sleepover and she went to the bathroom and she came out ashen and, and just upset and, and crying. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? You know? And she told me like as serious as a five-year-old can be that she had seen a little boy that was lying in my bathtub, just lying there. Like he, she, the boy didn't interact with her, didn't say anything to her. He was just like lying in the bathtub. And this greatly disturbed her. And it was so disturbing to her that she literally could not use the bathroom by herself anymore. Like nobody wants to have like company when they're using the bathroom. She couldn't use the bathroom. We would have this system where we would go to the bathroom together and get the shower curtain and like wrap it around each of us so we could have semi-privacy. Like if we were going to pee or something, we could pee behind the shower curtain, but we would giggle and know like, well, you know, we have an audience, but at least we're not afraid of whatever is going on, you know, in this bathroom. So that was kind of the first validation I had. And, and before, just, sorry, Amanda, before you move on from that, just, I don't know if, yeah. if she even told you these details or if you asked, but a couple of things, was he, did he have any clothing on? Like, you know, because sometimes the, yeah. the ghosts will wear period clothing, you know, if they're a, a, from an, another age, another time. And then was there water in the tub with this little boy? No, she didn't comment on the water. But I asked her, like, what did the little boy look like? And, you know, we're like five years old trying to communicate these horrible, you know, fears to each other. But the way she described it to me was he was dressed, yeah, in like period clothing. Like it wasn't modern clothing. And she said he looked like he was asleep. Like he just looked like he was asleep in the bathtub. And she did not mention any water at all. But all she was adamant about was that she absolutely could not go to the bathroom by herself. And mm -hmm. Shannon, I'll tell you this, this is really weird. But a few years later, I was probably at nine or 10. And my dad had gotten me a metal detector for Christmas. And I went out in the backyard and I was, you know, going all around my backyard and right near the bathroom, like there was this walkway that went to, around the backside of our house and my metal detector started going off. So I dug up and we found this really old metal toy gun like it wasn't a real gun it was a toy gun but it was made of metal so it was obviously quite old and it had obviously belonged to a little boy and even my parents at that point like once we dug this up in the yard they were like that's kind of weird what how do we explain this this isn't like you know it was like this little silver or I guess it was silver colored I don't know what actual metal it was but my dad kept it in the windowsill of our kitchen for a really long time we didn't really know what to do with it but to me that was incredibly validating because it was just so odd to find this little boy's toy gun like in the backyard 
at the same time as my friend, you know, just adamantly telling me that she had seen this boy in the bathtub. And you guys had shared with your parents what was going on and and did they hear, you know, what about the footsteps and all this other, these other happenings or was that stuff that you had to share with them and be like, Hey mom, dad, I I heard footsteps again last night. And they're like, Oh, Oh Amanda, we didn't, we didn't hear that. Yeah, no, they were incredibly dismissive of it. Like my mom was the type of person where she was just laugh things off. You know, she's like, oh, probably just your imagination. You know, she wasn't condescending or anything. My dad was like the most straight laced, serious person in the world. Ghosts do not exist. Don't bring it up. It's stupid, which is really funny because later and and we'll get to this, but he had his own ghost experience. So he had to kind of rear back and apologize. (laughs) But yeah, no, he wouldn't hear anything of it. So it was all very much dismissed as childhood fantasy and all of this, you know, even if my friends, you know, were coming and saying, this is scary. Like, you know, that really wasn't enough. Again, we were only five years old. Like to him, we were just kind of, I guess, over imaginative. Right. But it, it just kept getting worse. Um, honestly, like I, it was kind of funny because I had a younger sister and her name is Sarah. But even as I was like, I'd say six or seven. She was just like this little toddler and she would make a show of walking me to my room like, gosh, Amanda's so pathetic. Like, look, I can walk. I'm such a big, brave girl and I'm going to walk her to her room and I'm going to prove to you that, you know, nothing is wrong and that there's no ghost. But it's kind of funny because one time me and my sister and my friend Allison were having another summer party. There was always people to like see this. You know, we there was so many witnesses. So we were having a slumber party and we, we decided we were going to play hide and go seek. So my sister, Sarah was, I'd say she's probably about five or six years old at the time. And she was it. So she was trying to look for me and Allison and me and Allison decided to hide in my closet. And so my house was divided into different sections. There was like a really old section of my house. That was the area that was primarily haunted, which was separated by like this, really heavy heavy swinging door but then went into a like a more modern area of the house that then there was several additions so that then that went on to an even more modern area of the house and as you went on you know to these different areas of the house it got less and less haunted it was like the core oldest part of the house that was really really bad and that's where my room was so we had decided to hide in my closet and my my room had originally been a living room so the original layout of this ranch house was that my bedroom was the living room and it had a door to the outside in the room that had eventually been kind of sealed in and drywalled over and made to the wall. But my room was humongous. I mean, it was it was like 14 feet wide by 14 foot wide. So it was quite a large room and it had a humongous closet. Me and my friend Allison got in the closet and we were hiding in the shelves and there was lots of boxes and you know debris and stuff in the in the closet that we could hide behind. So. I think Allison got at the very highest shelf. These were huge shelves that children could easily fit in. And she was easily hidden behind everything. And I was on the the middle shelf. There was a third shelf below me. And I was hid securely behind this great big uh, cardboard box. And I can remember my sister, Sarah, like peeking her eyes into the closet. And she looks up and, you know, you can tell she sees somebody. She kind of smiles. She looks at Allison like, Kasha, you know, I think she even said, like, I see you. And she looks down and she looks near me. And this is what really bothered me. She looked near me, but it was almost like she was looking over my shoulder. And she made eye contact with something. And 
I went, I watched my little sister's face go from like pure glee. I'm playing hide and go seek and this is so much fun. And I found you like that smile that a little kid would have. It went from pure glee to like utter horror. Just that her, the shift in her face was so dramatic that it scared me. Like I didn't even understand what she was seeing. All I knew was that my sister was terrified and she ran and I had never seen Sarah like that ever. She was the brave one. She was the one that was like, I'm going to welcome you to her room. Like, this is all made up, you know, like she was so brave. And to see her run like that, like really disturbed me. So me and Allison got out of the closet and we ran outside after Sarah and Sarah was set on this, this rocking chair that we had on our front porch. She was clearly disturbed. And we're like, Sarah, you know, oh my God, like what's going on? What did you see? Why are you so upset? And she was adamant that she saw me, but it wasn't me. And I was arguing with her, like thinking, no, 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 Sarah, you, you know, you saw me. I mean, I saw you, you must've just seen me and you know, you got scared or something. I mean, I don't know. It was dark. And she's like, no, no, Amanda, you don't understand. Like I saw you too, but there was another you and it was like behind you. And, 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 and it was mean and it was terrible. And it was looking at me like it wanted me to die. And you know, me and Al, we were so disturbed. I mean, we were like, what do we even say? We can't comfort her. She's, she was only like five or six years old. You know, all I know is that we were all so upset that we literally sat on that rocking chair until my parents came home because we weren't even, we weren't even close to going inside. I mean, we were scared this thing was going to get us, but oh my gosh, <laughs> it, 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 that really bothered me. You know, just Sarah having been so stoic and brave before and seeing that change in her. I mean, it it really did um, show to me that it wasn't just something that me or Jessica or anybody else, you know, had imagined that now even Sarah was, see, you know, seeing something. So, <laughs> oh, that's one way yeah. for hide and seek to get ruined really quickly. Right. Yeah. And even to make that more kind of crazy and validating several years later, I had a Polaroid camera and it was one of those, it wasn't like a regular Polaroid. Polaroid camera, like with the big pictures. This is one of these little like IZOD Polaroid cameras with the tiny little strip that comes out of the side, you know, that was only big for like two years in the 90s. I was in that my room, the same room, um, several years later, and my stepdad Andy had said, Hey, it's Friday, like let's go out to rent a movie. And I was in a great mood. So I was like, Yeah, that sounds great. You know, let me just get ready. And it was sunny outside, and I had my little Polaroid IZOD camera. And I remember standing in my room in the hallway and I always thought my hallway was like particularly scary and haunted. Like there was just something about this hallway that really bothered me. And to make matters worse, I never had a door on my bedroom because it, like I was saying earlier, it was originally a living room. So there, <laughs> there was never really a door on the bedroom until much later that the door was added. So it was just this kind of empty opening to this long hallway. And so I was standing there and I lifted up my little Polaroid camera and I smiled and I had like stickers on my face and my hair was pulled back and the light was pouring in. I took a picture of myself. And when I got the Polaroid out just seconds later, it literally terrified me because I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, okay, here I am. It's pitch black in this picture. I'm not smiling like I'm supposed to be. There's no stickers on my face like they're supposed to be what happened like what what transpired in me snapping this polaroid picture this instantaneous 
<laughs> you know, Polaroid picture to me pulling out of the camera. And it literally looked exactly like me as a 10 or 11 year old kid, but none of the context was there. And to me, that almost validated what happened with my sister, Sarah. Like it was a version of me. It was still exactly me, but it was different. It had malice or it was dark or negative in some way. And to get that on camera was like, I don't know. It was disturbing. I just remember just dropping the picture and screaming like, you know, I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't think anybody would believe me. You know, all I knew was that it, it just bothered me so much. And it kind of all, all the dots connected when I thought of Sarah and the story, like, you know, when we played hide and seek all those years ago. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's definitely physically, literally dark, the picture, but your look is very dark in in this snap and what's cool about this everybody and of course you've heard me ask this a million times amanda but you've you have sent me several things through google drive already i appreciate that are these different things shareable that you've shared with me oh yes yes feel free to share anything i've shared with you i mean i literally don't even care like i don't even care if people think like this is wild or crazy or whatever i'm like i just want people to know that this kind of thing happens it happens and i almost want to humanize it you know like it's Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When I grew up, like my dad didn't believe me until I was much later. It was like super traumatic to have these experiences and have no one believe you or validate you at all, except for if they experience something, you know, themselves. And to me, I'm like, sure, if it can help anybody cope with what's going on in their own lives, you know, I, I want to share these things. Honestly. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll put that in the in the show notes for everybody. And yeah, but a huge high five to you because, you know, we're talking about a while ago, years ago, and you have hung on to it or at least have the picture of the picture, whatever it is, a scan. So a high five to you. And yeah, I will be putting that in the show notes for everybody. It's a very, that's an interesting story tied to something that you actually still have though. So very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like those two things aren't much on their own, but when, you know, the two stories are intertwined and it's like, here's the photo to prove like what my sister said, you know, five years earlier, like that's obviously a lot more, but moving on. So one of the big things, 
into my house. And I would say this was quite a, a big thing. Like everybody kind of knew, all my friends knew. I had a lot of friends growing up and they would come over and people would joke like, man, this house is creepy. Like, you know, it was just this kind of running joke, you know, but nobody really took it seriously until they experienced something for themselves. So I had a couple of friends. So there was these two sisters and their names were Ashley and Teresa. And I'm still very close friends with Ashley to this day. Like we're, you know, besties forever, you know, that kind of thing. So they were over and my friend from gymnastics, I was a, an elite level gymnast, um, as you know, because I broke my back. <laughs> my friend Samantha was also staying the night with me on this particular night. And Ashley had suggested, because she was, you know, she was one of those people, she's like, I'm interested in in all this dark stuff. I love seances. I love vampires and vampire movies. You know, we like to watch like interview with the vampire and silly stuff like that. You know, like she thought it'd be really fun if we had a seance. And I thought that was a great idea as well. So, you know, we decided that we would go in the hallway where it was super creepy and we would have a seance outside of the nursery where most things happen. So we sit down and we light a bunch of candles and, you know, we're just kind of like, Ooh, if there's any ghosts, you know, we're a bunch of 11, 12 years, 12 years old, you know, girls, if there's any ghosts, do something, you know, we were asking for it, you know, and, and we went on like that for a good 20 minutes. And to tell you the truth, we were really disappointed. Like nothing happened. Oh, okay. And Ashley was even kind of making fun of me. Like, well, geez, yeah, your house is so haunted, you know, like how come nothing happened? And we just laughed and brushed it off and we kind of went about what we were doing. And I, I truly don't even remember what we did between point A and point B. But all I remember is that later on that day, we were all sitting in my bed. And at this point, my stepdad, Andy, had decided that since I didn't have a door on my bedroom, um, it being an old living room and everything, that he wanted to give me some privacy and he was going to put on a door. So he had put a door on my bedroom. and But the problem was my door kept opening and closing like every time the air conditioner would come off or come on and off so I would and I knew that it was the air conditioner you know so I'd be like well I already have ghosts in my you know my room that I'm dealing with so I may as well like just write that off being the air conditioner and so what I would do because it would freak me out was I would like stack things in front like I'd put a little door stop or something in front of the the door so it wouldn't open and close on its own because that just made me even more paranoid watching my door open and close despite the fact that I knew it was the air conditioner. So we're sitting there and my door kept opening and closing on its own. And I said, oh, that's just the air conditioner. It's nothing. So I got a big chair. I dragged it and I put it in front of the door. And it still kept opening and closing. Like it would push the door open despite the fact that the, the chair was there. So I'm like, ah, well, maybe the air conditioner is really strong today. <laughs> So I got a bunch of books and these were like in the nineties, these Guinness book of world record books. These were, they were really popular. There was big, heavy books. And my mom always got them for me at Christmas. So I had a huge stack of these Guinness book of world records, like heavy books. So I'd get them and I, and I even put those on top of the chair so that it would be like a stack on top of the chair to even create more weight, put that against the door. The door was still opening. It wasn't, it was still sliding open and it was still disturbing us and so we're thinking this is just weird this doesn't seem like an air draft this, this doesn't seem normal so I also had this um it was a sailor moon scroll I'm like obsessed with sailor moon I love like vintage manga and I have this vintage sailor moon scroll which was it's like a cloth scroll that when you you I guess wind it up it's 
plastic on the edges. So it's kind of like a long stick. And I rolled it up and I got my Sailor Moon scroll and I wedged it. I put it against the door and then I put it down on the floor like a heavy wedge. And I even showed my friends. I showed Ashley and Teresa and Samantha. I was like, look, see, you can't even open the door. And I was even pulling on the door to show that that wedge and the chair and the books and all that was so wedged that even if I pulled it as hard as I could, you could not budge the door. There was no way to budge the door. So we were all confident in that. And we, we, you know, we sat down and we were doing whatever, you know, young preteens do, you know, giggling and laughing about boys or something. And oh, Shane, it was horrible. I mean, I tell you, all of a sudden, my friend Ashley, she went from just laughing and, you know, she was just talking about her boyfriend or something. And all of a sudden, she just went white. Like her face just turned as white as a ghost. And she just looked at me. She says, I'm going to be sick and throw up. And we didn't know. We, we had no idea what's going on. I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? And she was like, I don't know. And she just started vomiting. Like, she was white as a ghost. And she just started vomiting. And the actual, the instant that this happened, we heard these footsteps go down our hall. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, heavy footsteps. Like, someone was running down the hall. And just as this happened, she starts vomiting. My door flies open. I mean, flies with the force of like, if there was a 200 pound man and, and he was a football player and with all of the, the strength he had, he kicked the door open. I mean, the books, the scroll, everything goes flying across the room. Stuff like literally slammed against the opposite wall, like over where my dresser was. It was horrible. I mean, and, and this all happens so fast where we hear these, these footsteps and then everything goes flying. Me and Ashley's sister, Teresa, and my friend, Samantha, we literally screamed and we left poor Ashley there. Like, we just ran. Poor Ashley. Like, she's just there, like, puking and Lord knows what's going on with her. But we ran and we ran. And I don't remember leaving the house. All I remember was being outside and I remember jumping. We had this, like, barbed wire fence that separated our yard from this huge cow field that was next to us. We jumped the barbed wire fence. We ran a full mile, like past the cow field, like to the point that we had no breath left and we couldn't even run anymore. And I just remember us all like kind of hyperventilating, like, oh my God, like we can't run anymore. And only then did we stop to talk about what had just happened. We were like, what the living F, you know, like we were freaking out. What's going on with Ashley? Like, oh my God, I can't believe we just left her there. We felt so horrible. And so at that point, we're thinking, well, we've got to go back and check on Ashley because we've abandoned her in this horrible situation. But like, we were so afraid to go back. So we are like gathering our courage and we were like, okay, we can do this. And we, we meander back, we make it back to our house. And by the time we had gotten back there, my stepdad, Andy was there in the room with Ashley. And I guess he had found her or something and was, he had a rag over her head and was taking care of her. And he had already called Ashley's mom and she was going to come and get her. And I just remember standing there and looking at her with my friends being like, none of us knew what to say. We didn't know if she had been possessed. We didn't know what had happened. All we knew is we had seen things literally fly across the room, slam against the wall, the footsteps, her turning white, her puking. And I don't know if it was a delayed reaction to the seance that we had had earlier that day. That's the only thing that we could think. But the really interesting thing about this is 
I mean, Ashley and I are still friends to this day. And this is pushing on 20 some odd, 20, almost 25 years later. And we still talk about this to this day. Like it still bothers us. She still has no comment as to what happened other than it was horrible and she got sick and that's all she remembers. The whole ordeal is just, I don't even know. I mean, it's, wow. You know? So that's all she said is that just, I don't really know why it all of a sudden I just had to get sick and she did. So she literally said all of a sudden she was sitting there and she just felt sick. Like she was going to vomit and she did. And she she vomited all over the place. She was as white as a sheet. You know, like I said, my stepdad sent her home. Her mom came and picked her up. She was sick for a full day. And to this day, she rem- but she still remembers everything else. She remembers the, the books and the terrifying. She remembers the seance. She remembers all of that. And it disturbs her. I mean, to a great de- degree, as it would disturb anyone, not understanding what happened. Like, she doesn't have any recollection. There was no voices in her head. She didn't feel possessed. There was nothing there apart from she literally just felt so overwhelmed. She just started vomiting and she has no explanation for it other than to say that maybe she was possessed. She, she, she Even she doesn't understand. Was she maybe taunting whatever you guys were trying to contact any more than anybody else? Oh, yeah. You know, and that's the thing. You know, Ashley is one of those people that She's very playful. She's like, come on, you know, like she she's definitely one of those people that toys and plays and, you know, and, and asks for things. So if there would have been anyone that would have been targeted, I can imagine it would have been her. She's also like just super open. She's just an open soul. She bears her soul in any situation. So it made sense to me that it would be her. Like she was open to that kind of experience, whereas her sister was very closed off. I don't know much about my friend from gymnastics samantha other than like we were friends i don't know if she was into that kind of thing other than this event terrified her but if there were one of my friends that were open to that kind of thing it would have been ashley so it's interesting to me that that happened to her as if she were almost vulnerable you know and what kind of seance were you guys executing well, it, it wasn't anything formal. I mean, to tell you the truth, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, literally, all we did, it was so rudimentary. I mean, we were like, like I said, preteens. So we lit candles in a little bowl, and we didn't do anything more than just say, oh, if there are ghosts, we are invoking you to come, and we want you to show yourself in any means, in any means that you feel necessary and that kind of thing. We... We're asking for it to show its presence. And it was interesting because when we did that, nothing happened. And nothing happened for hours and hours until we just sat in our room and we were giggling and having our girly fun and not thinking about a thing. And then all of a sudden, that's when we hear it. That's when we hear the footsteps and the door flies open. And holy moly, I mean, it was truly, it it was horrifying. Well, see, and that that goes to the whole thought that it's it's intention. Some people will say, well, it's not the Ouija board itself. It's the intention behind it. Yeah, yeah. It was like we we invited it in almost. And and it was like, oh, yeah, you want a show? I'll give you a show. It gave us a show. It just didn't give it to us when we expected it. Right. It gave it to us when our defenses were down. And it had more to th- throw around at, at, at certain times of the day. So I, I actually have one of those Guinness 
books, so I know right. exactly what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, you could you could conk somebody out with one of those with a well placed, you know, kick I to mean, the I head. Had a- huge stack of these things like every Christmas my my grandma would just she'd give me one book and they build up over time so I had this huge stack like that on top of a chair on top of the Sailor Moon scroll like wedged like you know anyway it none of it made sense it, it truly to this day it bothers us it bothers Ashley and she's to this day like I said almost 25 years later she still validates that that is that being true to her as well and I'm sure she'd be happy to speak to it yeah, not that she'd probably really maybe want to remember, but I do wonder if she went under some kind of a hypnosis, if she would yeah, remember no, more. It, it it honestly, it 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 seemed like almost like she was in a trance when it was happening. I mean, it was just so odd the way her demeanor changed so quickly, her color changed, you know, her vomiting, like if she even fully admits she doesn't remember a lot of what happened, you know, when she was vomiting and when this entity or whatever happened. I mean, we don't, we can't explain what happened. It could have been anything. It just seemed like something kicked the door in and sent everything flying and then made her sick simultaneously. Thing is, you know, that kind of thing happened a lot. And that is scary as it seems was one of the more benign, you know, episodes that happened. You know, the scariest thing to me that happened and and what's happened to my little sister she was she was a little baby at the time and, and honestly she doesn't even like to talk like this like if I bring it up she she shuts it down she was like because it disturbs her she was just a little baby like vulnerable at the time but I'd say a year or so could have been less um within the same instance I had another friend that was staying the night and her name was Molly and this is around the time that um, The Wedding Singer came out. And I love that movie. I love Adam Sandler. I love 90s comedies. Like, I, I just, I, I love that movie. And just to preface the story by how much I love this movie so that when it was on TV, I was so kind of enraptured in it that I was so distracted. And this kind of sets the scene for why it's so odd. Me and my friend Molly were having a summer party. And my mother, who had just had my youngest uh, sister, her name is Bethany, She, my mom got a job at this like fitness plex that was down the road. And my mom was an aerobics instructor and she would work a lot. So I would babysit my sister, you know, while my mom worked. So my mom was at work and it was literally the only people in the house were my infant sister, Bethany. I mean, she was probably, I don't remember what age she was, just to say that it was that age when a baby can't sit up oh they can sit up on their own but they can't stand like they have to hold things to pull themselves up it's like the only way they can stand is to like hold the side of the crib or something and, like pull themselves up she was at that age so I would guess it was like I don't know six or seven months old or something so it was her me and my friend Molly it was same night and it you know my sister was getting fussy and it, this was the middle of the day on a Saturday and we said, well, obviously she needs to take a bath. I mean, take take a nap. So we took Bethany to her 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 crib in the nursery, and we tucked her in. But the thing was, when I put her in her crib, I saw that there was this mobile mat that was in the crib that had been left in there. And this thing was like, if you picture like a toddler laying on the floor, and there's these little mats that you can lay out, and then these little arches come up with these little mobiles that kind of dangle from the arches, and it's foldable like a cloth foldable mobile mat. And 
that was in her bed. And I mean, you can't leave things like that in an infant's bed. You know, you don't even supposed to leave like blankets and pillows in an infant's bed because they could suffocate them. So I clearly remember seeing that mobile mat and I remember getting it and thinking that's not safe. I folded it. I took it across the room. On the other side of the room was this baby changing table that was up against the wall. I folded this mobile mat and I and I tucked it behind the baby changing table on the other side of the room. Tucked Bethany in, you know, she was fine. She went to sleep and turned the light off. And me and my friend Molly went to the living room and we turned on the wedding singer and we were having a jolly time, just loving it, you know, watching the wedding singer. It's a comedy. So, you know, we were enjoying ourselves, very absorbed in it. And about halfway through the movie, all of a sudden, we heard Bethany scream. And I mean, you know, baby scream. I mean, everybody knows baby scream, but this was. This was different. You know, you know, the sound of, of, of like a child that you take care of. You know, you knew the sound of their screams. This sounded blood curdling. This sounded terrifying. It was different than any scream I had heard Bethany ever emit. And at the moment she made this scream, she screamed. It was like, ah, you know, she, she wailed horrible. And the moment she ended this scream, we heard these, these footsteps. And I say footsteps lightly because this was pounding. This was the loudest, heaviest footsteps I've ever heard in my house. It went from Bethany's room all the way in the back hallway. We heard these footsteps like, the heaviest, most. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com resounding ridiculous footsteps I've ever heard in my life running full speed from her room all the way through my hallway but the weird thing was the moment it entered the living room which was kind of entering into the more modern area of the house it just stopped it was as if the footsteps were at full speed through the old area of the house through the hallway but then when it entered the the living room where we were it just like it just stopped there was no way a person like a human being could stop running mid stride like that and just cease the sound. And the, and it wasn't just sound, like it was like actually shaking the vases and stuff. Everything was shaking with with these footsteps. Like all the vases, all the furniture and everything was vibrating, shaking. And me and my friend Molly, like we jumped up so quick. We all we could think was like, you know, you don't go to ghosts. Like that's never a thought in your mind. Like what we thought was is someone's trying to kidnap Bethany. Like you, you go to, you just go to what's, what's natural and what's logical. Like we thought there was an intruder and someone was trying to, to hurt my baby sister. So we ran, we ran as fast as we could back to Bethany's room. And the weird thing was her light was on and I'm like, okay. So immediately when I got to her room, I kind of froze outside of her room. Okay. Like who turned her light on? Because I turned it off. Like me and Molly both saw that we turned it off when we tucked her in as anybody would, when they're tucking in a baby, you turn the light off. It was on. You could hear her screaming, you know, through the door. So I mustered my courage and I pushed open Bethany's door and I could, I looked at her and I saw Bethany standing in her crib. And over her head was draped the same mobile mat, the 
that I had just removed that, that just two hours I had taken it and I had put it on the opposite end of her room of her room behind the baby changing table folded up. This thing had managed its way back all the way across the room into her bed and was literally draped completely over her head. And you couldn't even see Bethany. Like it was like she was suffocating and I ran up to her screaming and poor thing and I and I ripped this this mat off of her head and she was so red and she was screaming she was terrified and she couldn't communicate with me because she was just like a little baby and all I could think was oh my god I'm so glad you're okay and I grabbed her and me and Molly just ran her outside and we sat on that same rocking chair that we had sat with Sarah when she had seen that weird doppelganger with me or whatever and we tried to calm her down, but there was no calming me and Molly down. Like we knew what we had experienced. It was horrible. And we knew that there was no one in the house. And we we waited, waited. Finally, my mom came back from her, you know, I guess her job at Fitness Flex. And there was no one there. I mean, my stepdad, Andy, had been working offshore. And when he worked offshore, he was gone for like two weeks at a time. You know, he was gone in the Gulf of Mexico at an oil rig. Like he was gone. He was not there. My house was old. The windows were painted shut. No one could have come through a window. We knew that. We even checked all the windows. I mean, they were all nailed and painted shut. The only entrance is the front door and the back door. The front door, we were sitting by because we were in the living room watching the wedding singer on the big screen TV in my living room. The only other door was the back door, which was in the kitchen, which we checked multiple times and was locked. When my mom got home, she was like, like partially disturbed I think by the story like she was like oh that's kind of crazy but I guess she again chalked it up to me be like the fact that me and Molly were only 10 or 11 years old and she thought that maybe we were like blowing out our proportion she did take the time to like walk to all you know to the two doors and just say wow that is locked and that is weird but you know there were no cameras there was no way of proving or corroborating that other than the fact that it was just horrible and I literally don't know what could have happened other than the fact that this being or whatever it was was trying to suffocate Bethany or what because I mean why would a being put a fabric mat over an infant's head if it had any intentions that were good you know what I'm saying like it wouldn't do that if its intentions were positive and and that just bothered me god it bothered me so much and Bethany remembers this incident she does. And let me tell you, Shannon, she, she does not like to talk about it. It, it. it really disturbs her, you know, and it's one of those things, like, if you bring it up, she's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> like, we're not going to talk about that because I was like a defenseless baby. And, you know, she doesn't remember anything putting, all she remembers is the trauma. Like, she remembers me and Molly running in and screaming. She remembers the mat being over her head. And she remembers you know, the fear, but she didn't remember seeing anything. Like there was no, she has no recollection of anything being put on her. All she remembers is the fear and the trauma, but she not open to talking. So something interesting that's standing out here is the fact that you and Bethany both have memories from a very, very early age that I think a lot of people cannot pull memories from that far back. And it seems like there are some folks that I have spoken to 
that seem to have quite a number of paranormal experiences over over years or a lifetime that are of this same group of folks that do have these very, very early memories. So does, and without getting into any of her stories, maybe she'll want to come on sometime, I don't know, but does does Bethany also have a, a list of paranormal experiences? No, that's the weird thing. Like, that's the only thing that she contends that mm. it ever happened to her. And yeah. she does not need to talk about it. It's a very uncomfortable topic for her, but she has very early memories. And it's it's weird because I have very, very early memories. Like I can remember things, you know, in my crib, like I can remember being like a tiny baby. I can remember my first birthday. And I don't know if this is maybe like a thing where people just have good memories and so they can they have better recall and maybe they can on things like maybe I didn't block things out of my mind that other people would have or something. But to a great extent, I think this is one of those things where Bethany, like, <laughs> she was like, if I could talk about anything, I could talk about memories in my crib, but I will not talk about that horrible incident where um, that horrible, whatever it was, you know, we don't know what it was. We always got the sense that it was a male, just the way it made us feel. We all, everybody in my family just felt this was a male. None of us got the feeling it was female at all, ever. We thought it was a male. We thought it was negative, And we thought it was feeding off of fear in, in some way through our house. And um, she got the brunt of it. And we couldn't help but wonder why it would want to harm her. You know, because Bethany was the only one that ever attacked like that. You know, That's actually pretty dark when you really do think about it. Right? I mean, that's that's yeah. a horrible experience horrible and she was just a baby like she was just an innocent little baby and you feel so helpless like I know me and Molly we felt so helpless because we're supposed to be taking care of my my sister you know and she's just this innocent little baby and we were kids even you know we we're only 10 or 11 we're like well well we failed like this thing that we couldn't even control attacked her and we don't even know how to explain it you know it just felt we felt so helpless after I mean it was just awful and 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 honestly we actually moved out of our house shortly thereafter and I'm not sure if that was like my parents you know listening to us finally but we let me tell you even when we moved into our new house we were still having horrible experiences so it followed us whatever it was now, when your dad finally saw something, was it in this this next house that you say you moved into, or was yeah. it in that previous one? No, it was in the the next house, and this is so funny, Shannon. Like this was like the most validating moment for me. Like you know, you have those moments in your life where like this was this was an important moment. Like this was a validating, amazing moment. Well. All through my childhood, all the stories that me and Sarah and Bethany ever told Daddy, you know, he was like, ah, sure, whatever, you know, that's, you're just making it up. Like, he he dismissed everything. I mean, it was just all hearsay. So, this was, the, the first time he ever mentioned this to us, I think me and Sarah were teenagers. We, we, I know it was Halloween, and, and we were going to do, like, a, some sort of spooky house or something, and me and, me and Sarah were telling Daddy all the different scary things that happened to us. And he, he stayed stoic through the whole thing. He was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we got quiet, and he was like, well, I, I think I need to tell you something. And and I've I've always held this story back, and, 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 and this happened. And in a way, I feel like I need to apologize to you girls because 
it's like, y'all have told me these things that have happened to you and this happened afterwards and I don't really know what to think. But he said, and he swears to this, he swears he told this story to his mother, like he, everyone, he, he would swear it on his life, on the Bible, on everything. My dad is the most serious person you'll ever meet. He swears. We moved. So when we moved out of the ranch home in, in Florence, we moved into my dad's great aunt's house. So my, my great aunts were in a nursing home. One of them had died. And the other, my great aunt Gertrude's sister, Helen, was like now in a nursing home. And their house was just empty. So we decided it would be a opportunity for us to, you know, move in and, and be near family because the house was very between um, my dad's mother and his, you know, his aunt. We moved in, come to find out that my dad had one of the most terrifying <laughs> paranormal experiences that I've ever heard of in, in that house. So, you know, me and my sisters were, you know, we got scared a lot because it's scary things that would happen to us. And sometimes we'd crawl into my parents' bed. Well, my dad said that one night we had just moved into his Aunt Gertrude and Helen's house. He had his bedroom was their bedroom. It was the master bedroom. And he was still in their furniture. I mean, he hadn't moved anything out. He was sleeping in my Aunt Gertrude and Helen's bed. It was their dresser, their furniture. Everything was theirs. He was just sleeping in the bed. He said he was just sleeping, and in the middle of the night, he was awoken to the feeling of someone crawling in the bed. And he just, you know, said, oh, that's probably Amanda or Sarah crawling into bed with me. They they do that all the time, you know, and, and he, he totally brushed it off. But he thought it was weird because whatever the thing was that crawled into the bed, it just kind of stayed at the foot of the bed. Like, if it would have been me or Sarah... We would have crawled up, you know, closer to him and gotten actually under the covers and, you know, completed our quest into the bed. But that didn't happen. It Whatever this thing was just kind of stayed there at the foot of the bed. And that bothered him. So he wanted to open his eyes and see what was going on. Like, did we just go to sleep at the foot of the bed? What was happening? So he said he kind of leaned up and he looked and there at the foot of the bed sat his aunt. Gertrude. Only problem was his aunt Gertrude had been dead for 10 years. <laughs> so he's having like a metaphysical crisis. Like he's like, oh, maybe I'm dreaming, you know, I, for heaven's sakes, there sits Aunt Gertrude at the foot of my bed. And he said, hello. And Aunt Gertrude just looked at him and, and Daddy said he, she literally just turned her head like really slowly, like just looked over at him and made eye contact with him and when she did she saw him and she just lunged at him and she took my dad by the neck and she got both of her hands around his neck and started like strangling him like squeezing his neck like trying to squeeze life out of him my dad started screaming and he said he grabbed her wrist he said amanda her wrists were as solid as a human being like like a living person like you could grab her wrists, you know, and and I grabbed him and I said, Gertrude, Gertrude, it's me. It, it's Barry. Like he was trying to say, like, it's just me. It's your, it's your nephew, you know, it's Barry. And, and he said when, when he did that, that Gertrude, it was almost like she had this look of knowing like, oh, or something like, 
oh, okay. And she let go and she kind of took several steps back and she sat back down at the foot of the bed. And I was like, well, daddy, what did she do? Did she, did she disappear? Did she, what happened? And he said, she literally, it was like pixel by pixel. She just kind of went out. It was like, like, like this little one pixel by one pixel very quickly. though. Like it didn't take a long time. Very quickly. She just pixelated out of the scene and there was nothing. And he swears, I mean, upwards, downwards, forwards, and backwards, that this was real. He was not sleeping, you know, and, and this was such a huge moment for us, like me and my sister and the rest of my family, really, like to hear him tell this story because he had been so unbending and so stoic all these years and denying anything we had ever said was true. And when he said this, he was like, I am sorry. Like, it was like an apology to you know from him to us saying like this is real and i am sorry and this happened and he was so disturbed by it that he told everyone in his family he told his mom he told his aunt like he told everyone in his family that this happened because it was so horrible and the funny thing is everyone was like yeah that sounds like gertrude <laughs> yeah she probably would have strangled a strange random guy that was sleeping in her sister's bed that sounds great yeah it's still terrifying oh gertrude she was not having that man she's like uh get the hell out of this house right now you know that i i was picturing that as you were telling it and that whole slow head turn thing is super creepy yeah it's just horrible and i mean i guess i've tried to put myself there like in her position and in my dad's position like you try to figure these things out and all i could think was if I was Gertrude, you know, she had been dead for a decade and her sister, Helen, was still living like Helen was still living, but she was living in a nursing home. And I'm thinking, did did Gertrude realize that Helen had moved out? Like, was she coming to check on Helen? And then she comes into Helen's room and there is laying this man sleeping in Helen's bed or something. And she's thinking, who is this person? Like, she hasn't seen my dad in a really long time. Maybe she didn't think of my dad as an older man, you know laying in in her sister's bed like that may have been bewildering to her but it was just interesting the way my dad told the story like the moment he conveyed to Gertrude who he was she let go like it was like she was like oh oh okay (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) like that's you Barry or something like and she did step back and she did let go you know and everyone seemed to sign off on that like yeah Okay, like as much as I don't believe in ghosts, I can imagine Gertrude, that was her personality. Gertrude would have definitely come after somebody if they thought her sister was in jeopardy. So, yeah, yikes. <laughs> yeah, big yikes. So, I don't know what state Helen was in in this nursing home, but did anybody ask her if she had ever seen Gertrude in the home? Oh, yeah. No, she was completely it was like dementia like she didn't know what was going on it was kind of sad because actually like within a few weeks of that um Helen decided she didn't want to live anymore so she just stopped eating like she just decided stop eating and she eventually just starved to death to to die and we supported that because she was so old and she was so miserable um but you know she left that house to us and it was sweet but we at that point we were like oh my god (laughs) what if we do now because we knew you know that um house was haunted but it's interesting because my dad 
my mine and my sister's bedrooms were in the attic because my dad had converted the attic into a living space. We never felt anything. Not a single thing ever happens in our rooms at all. It was only in my, you know, my dad's room, which was Helen and Gertrude's room, and in the bathroom that conjoined to that, which I had had, you know, a couple of baths, and I had, even before my dad said anything about Helen and Gertrude, I had felt, like, uncomfortable, you know, that feeling where you're like, oh, I'm just having a bath or something, and I'm all alone, but all of a sudden, I feel like I'm being watched, or I, I just feel uncomfortable, like, I had had that feeling several times in that bathroom. But it really validated it to me when my dad, like, confessed to me and Sarah, like, oh, God, like, wow, this horrible thing happened and I have to come clean. And at this point, yeah, yeah, I, I believe y'all. And I'm so, so, so sorry for all of that. <laughs> so you guys are probably a little bit like, I'm so sorry, Dad. But yes, finally, you're admitting yeah. that, that there is oh, something yeah. else out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because daddy has always been open to like UFO stuff and like Bigfoot stuff. Like he was open to that. But ghosts, no, ghosts freaked him out or something. Like, you know, he was one of those people that were like, that makes me uncomfortable. And if an idea makes me uncomfortable, I will not entertain it. I'm not going to think about something that makes me uncomfortable. But the moment that that happened with Gertrude and Helen, like when he had had that visitation, he was like, Oh my God, there's no denying this. Like at this point, it's over. <laughs> like there is no, like th this is real. And we have had a complete, it honestly completely fundamentally changed our relationship. We could talk about things more. We could openly communicate in a way that we could never communicate before. And honestly, I thought it was incredibly beautiful, like that we could now truly be open with each other after years of feeling like we couldn't communicate, you know? Yeah, Gertrude did you a favor then. I mean, so that's right after you guys moved in. So does he continue to sleep in that bedroom? Like what, what changes? How long are you guys there and what else goes on in that home? We were there for about three or four years and then we moved to another house. And when we moved to the next house, nothing ever happened again. It was very much tied to the locations that we were at. Like that was it. It was like, okay. <laughs> we left and that there's nothing more and it was so refreshing to feel finally comfortable like if I could go to sleep in my room and not feel terrified like something was stalking me while, while I was sleeping or I was constantly constantly being watched like if I was even going to the bathroom like you you couldn't even feel like if you took a shower that you were having privacy I mean it was it was horrible and it went from that feeling of just no privacy and trauma and awfulness to just is this for real um, am i in this nice house and we're just living our life and nothing's bothering us it, it was a weird transition but i mean we still went on experiencing things but they were handoffs it was things that would happen here and there that weren't at our house or whatever and i do think that there must be something with my family like there must be something there because it's like, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, something crazy happens. No matter if it's positive with angels or something, no matter if it's negative with some weird demonic black shadow. I don't even know hat man. My aunt seen the hat man. Like there's so many things where, I mean, honestly, I don't even know how to describe it other than I just truly at this point have come to the conclusion that my family just is magnetizes these things. And 
for whatever reason, this activity, whatever it is, is attracted to my family or to, to families like mine. Well, yeah, I mean, even Aunt Gertrude, after 10 years, has the energy to to come back, right, and, and visit her house. Yeah. It's like, what the heck? I mean, I, to this day, I, I can't understand it. And, like, for her to have the, it's not just like she was a, like, wispy nothingness. Like, my dad contended that her arms were as solid as a human being, like, that was trying to strangle you. He could not breathe. He was scared for his life. Like he could hold her hand, like hold her wrist when he was trying to wrench himself free. Like he could hold her wrist like as solid as you could hold any anybody's wrist. And that was the most disturbing thing to him. How are you so solid? What is going on? You know, like, I don't know. I don't think any of us understand it, honestly. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like a lot of energy i always go back to that part of the movie ghost you know when he's trying to learn just to push the the damn penny or whatever it is in the subway the other ghost is like you just need to focus you know and you can move this little tiny thing and then it gets bigger so and also extremely interesting that she ended up blinking out pixel by pixel you said it was very quickly but pixel by pixel essentially that's interesting that was interesting too because you have to keep in mind when my dad told me this I would, I'm trying to think what year it was, but I would, I would wager to say it was probably 2001, 2002, when he related this story to me. And I'm thinking, good Lord, this is the first thing I've ever, I've never heard of a story like this. I've never heard of anyone describe a ghost encounter with pixels, like ever before. I mean, to me, even pixels were a new idea at that time, like, my phone has 12 megapixels or some ridiculous, pitiful thing, you know. And he's in here trying to describe to me that his aunt was a megapixel. And that she just, she disappeared that way. Like, to, to me and my sister, we were like, what in the hell? Like, trying to, to wrap our little preteen minds around this. I literally don't even understand how to describe it other than it terrified us but that it was so incredibly validating to finally have our dad be like yep yep you know what if you ever come at me with a ghost story again i will look at it from a different lens and i am sorry and all of this is crazy and 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 now i think you live in surreal you know and, and that was beautiful your poor dad, though, what a hell of an inception into the world of, of right. knowing that there's something else out there that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, it's it's really terrible. Well, you, know, uh, you mentioned angels really quickly. That word came out. Do you want to talk a little bit about your grandma and the angels? I would love to so much. Oh my gosh. Okay, so my mama is the sweetest lady that you'll ever meet in your entire life. Like she. It's all rainbows and sunshine and loveliness. And like, she's my literal favorite person that ever lived in the whole wide world forever. And she knows. So she has told me so many stories that blow my mind. But there are a few that really stand out because it involves me as a baby. And I'm like, that's weird. So she had always told me that when I was a little baby, probably, I don't know, one or two in the car seat, as little as you can be in a car seat. She was driving me from her house 
back to my home, which was on this road called Cleary Road. And it, that connects Richland, Mississippi to Florence, Mississippi. And it's kind of this like hilly country road with double yellow lines. Like, don't pass me. It's a big hill, you know, that kind of thing. So her and, and my aunt Jennifer, which is her daughter, which is my sister, my mom's youngest sister, were in the front seat. And I was in the back seat in the car seat. So they were driving along this road. And they come up along a hill. And as they crest a hill, they see, you know, this car that had come up on the other side of the hill. And it was like they were about to have a collision. I mean, it was, there was no moment. This was a a horrible, huge hill that there was no visibility on at all. And they were both coming up at both sides at the same time. And they both saw, you know, this is it. And, 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 And as they realized that. They knew that in, that a collision was imminent. I mean, that was all there was to it. And my grandmother and my aunt both tell the same story. And this is this is what really blows my mind. They both swear again and again and again that it was like a ball of light erupted outward and inward from the car. And they felt as if the car that we were in slammed. It did slam into the car that was in front of us. But they they describe it like it was like a a wall of jello. There were like both the cars did hit each other, but there was a wall of jello in between to absorb any contact at all. And my my grandmother says, Memo says that she saw in this brilliant white flash of light, she said she saw an angel. She said it was a beautiful angel, all clad in white, that was holding its hands out, like its hand spread, you know, right out in front of it, like to stop the car, like with its hand out like that. Like, I'm going to stop you. And but what's interesting is that my aunt did not see that. She also saw a brilliant white flash of light, but she did not see an angel. She just said she saw a brilliant white flash of light and then the car as she says, ran into jello and did not impact the car in front of us. I don't know how to interpret any of this other than to say that both of my family members tell the same story, but with minor outlying details, except for the angel. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only difference, right? Like Mimal contends that the angel stopped the car and that it felt like jello. Jennifer says, a white light stopped the car and it fell like jelly. All that I know is our car ran into another car head on over a hill at 60 miles an hour and there was no impact and it felt like jello and it there nothing happened like no car hit each other and I asked, I asked my my grandmother I was like well I mean what happened I mean obviously y'all were shocked I mean did you ask the people that were in the car, like, were you like, what happened? What was your experience? And she said, we were so shocked. We didn't really say anything. We looked at each other. She said she looked at the other people. They, they, they all got out of their car. They all sort of looked at each other, like all bewildered. Whoa, that was really weird. Like we should have had this horrible crash and it didn't happen. And now we're standing in the middle of the highway and there's nothing. But there was nothing other than that. I was like, well, did you say what happened or what was your opinion or anything? And she said, no, like 
everybody just sort of got into their car and they drove away and it was just acknowledged that it was weird and that it didn't make sense. And then it was beyond anyone's commentations. You know, it, there was nothing that anyone could say that could describe what had happened in that moment because just, you know, even the way my memo said it, like it was like when everyone made eye contact after they got out of the car, it was like, it was clear that something miraculous had happened and they and commenting on it seemed just silly, you know, at that point. So yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. What do you even say? Right. So the other, the people in the other car did in fact see the light though. They did. Yeah. It, they said that everyone contended there was a beautiful white light. The only difference was that my memo, she was the only one that thought she saw an angel. Like she, she was adamant. She said, I saw an angel on me and he was in the light. And what's funny is that I'm not even religious. I have no religious backgrounds. If anything, I would even call myself like pagan or something. I'm not religious at all. But she contends to me that she saw an angel and that it was standing there with, with its hand out like a stop sign or something. It stopped and that it stopped the car. And I just thought that was so interesting because of the way my aunt described it exactly the same except there was no angel like it was almost as if if you see a miraculous experience it, you'll see it through your own lens like it's mm-hmm. like if you're a Christian, you'll see it through that perspective and my aunt having i mean she's a christian too you know but she isn't as serious of a christian as my mental so it was like she just saw a white light and, and i guess it's like in my mind i was interpreting it well, if you see a miraculous event, maybe you just see it through your own lens. Like if you were Hindu, maybe you would see Shiva there, you know, or it, who knows? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't conjecture like what people would see, but all I could think was maybe this was just a thing of maybe you saw an angel because in your heart, an angel stopped it. Or maybe an angel really did. Like, I can't I have no idea. All I know is that's that's what she saw. And that we did not do it. And it's, it's, a, it's miraculous. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I don't even know how to describe it. I love stories like that. All right. Well, I'm sure, you know, I'm kind of excited about this next little bit of our chat. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Bigfoot in Wesson, Mississippi, right? Yes. So, okay. I want to think it was Lincoln National Park. Don't quote me on that. All I know is that it was in, it was in Weston, Mississippi. Oh my gosh. So my husband and I, my husband loves to do Frisbee golf and I am not the biggest fan of Frisbee golf, but I love to go hiking. So I hike with him when he goes Frisbee golfing and that's all good and by and we have a wonderful time. So here we are in Weston, Mississippi. It, it was deep winter was freezing outside and we're going through this frisbee golf course that wound through the woods and for the first several you know holes it was nothing he's throwing i'm walking you know nothing much shorter all of a sudden oh gosh shana it was so weird it was like i literally had this overwhelming thought like i'm being followed like, it, it, I don't even know how to describe it. I've never had that that feeling in my life. Someone is looking at me and I am being followed. I didn't know how to feel about that. I thought maybe someone was watching us through the woods or maybe there was somebody coming up behind us. I didn't know what to think. All I knew was I didn't feel like we were alone and I felt like we we're being followed. 
so we just kind of keep on going. We go a couple more holes down this frisbee course. And it just, this feeling persisted. And what's really weird is all of a sudden I had this flash in my mind. I saw this picture in my mind of a young Bigfoot. This sounds so crazy. I felt even stupid saying it, but it was just in my mind. I saw this young Bigfoot, like a teenager Bigfoot or something. And I was like, okay, I'm just imagining. I'm probably just imagining that because I'm in the woods and I'm in Mississippi and who knows? Who knows why I would be imagining that? But, you know, you try to write it off as something logical. So I filed that away. So Jason throws a couple more frisbees. And all of a sudden, I am literally, at this point, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, okay, this this feeling is too tangible. All of a sudden, I look up in front of me and I see in the path, this is an empty cleared path. I just see this big, huge pink seashell just sitting there in the middle of the path. And I'm thinking, no, like, how does a pink seashell get into the middle of the woods in the middle of the winter in Mississippi, like in Western, like I, I, I couldn't make sense of it. So I bent down, I picked up the seashell and it stunk. Oh my God, it stunk. Like I can't even describe to you how bad it stunk. Suffice to say, it took like two weeks dipped in vinegar and stuff to even get the stink out of how bad the seashell stunk. But anyhow, I thought it's weird. You know, there's this seashell set out in the middle of the path. And it it seemed like almost it was set there for me. If anybody had gone through that path, they would have seen it. I don't know. I mean, to me, it just it seemed weird that there it sat just in the middle of the path as if it, as if it was waiting for me. So I bent down and I grabbed it and I put it in my pocket, even though it didn't. We kept walking and I kept just feeling as if we were being watched. Like there was just this insatiable feeling that I couldn't shake. Like, God, I feel like something's watching us. We went around the bend to this other hole. And I, I told my husband, Jason, I was like, oh my gosh. I can't take this anymore. I'm about to walk off and just look and see if I can find anything. So somehow, just as I leave, like I start walking off and, and, and this, this amazes me. I walk straight to a creek bend, like, like as if I was led there and I felt like, okay, I need to be here. And I walk up to this creek bed and I look down and there in the mud was this footprint. And I'm like, looking at this thing and I'm like, okay. This thing's huge. It's like a, a foot long. It's huge. The most amazing thing that stuck up in my mind about it was the footprints, like, or I mean the toe prints, like the toes were were quite large, like larger than a human being's toes would have been. And I'm trying to wrap my head around it and I'm thinking, okay, it's middle of the winter. Why would a human being be walking around in the middle of the woods? In the freezing cold, in a creek bed that's wet and cold and horrible, barefoot. Like, I'm trying to make sense of this. I can't make sense of it. It's not making any sense. All I can do is photograph it. And I, I took pictures. I took pictures of the, the print. I took pictures of my husband's foot next to the print. We couldn't make sense of it. I put the shell away in my pocket. I still have it. I mean, I still have the shell. All we could think was, what in the living hell? <laughs> like, what could this be like there is literally no explanation for it in the middle of the winter like this for there to be this foot this footprint 
in the red mud, in this disgusting, yucky red mud, where there is no reason. I mean, I literally, I have no comment for it other than to say that it was strange. It was weird. And I have photographic evidence to prove that it's true. Yeah, you do. And you sent me those too. Thank you for that. And I will put those in the show notes, like I said before. Okay, so a couple things to ask you. I'm, I got the picture open here. And of course, I, I looked at them before, but I want to pull them up again while I'm talking to you. So you can see, in fact, uh, some of the toe impressions, what looks to be toe impressions, right? And the question is, I get the impression that I'm going to use the word impression here for a couple different things, unfortunately. Uh, no. I get the impression that the substrate there, that the, the dirt, the mud looks kind of hard packed. So when you're after your husband has his foot there, when he took his foot away, how far down into the mud does his foot go? Not much. So, okay. So to give you some clarification in Mississippi, what that was would have been red clay mud. Any footprint that you would have put your foot, if you would have put your foot on your or your hand or anything into anything there, that would have been red red clay mud. And you know, and we knew that Jason, when he put his foot down, we were aware of that, and he put his foot down. We even measured it, and I think Jason's foot was about eleven inches or something. And with with his shoe on, he was wearing a Vans shoe, as you see in the picture. Mm-hmm. And even with that. That photograph with the 11 inches, like the shoe was, or the print was much bigger than his footprint. But what stood out most to me was the size of the toes. It was like, what in the world? These toes are so huge. You know, like if you, if you put your toes into the ground, like, I don't know, it it really bothered me how, how deep those toes bore into the ground. And it also bothered me. Gosh, it was December or January or something. I mean, I can't be like 100% certain of exactly. I know it was the winter. All I know it was, it was freezing outside. And all we could think was, what human being would be wandering around the woods in the middle of the winter? Like, I'm going to be jumping across the riverbed in December or January or something like in Mississippi. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be just dancing across a riverbed and, like, leaving footprints. Like, I I couldn't wrap my head around that. I was like, this can't be just a random person walking around. Do you know what I mean? So did his foot sink in at all in that area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. It did. Okay. It was very, it was, it was impressionable when he put his foot down. Okay. Um, And, okay, so also it is of interest that a young Bigfoot came to your mind, right? I mean, yeah. and again, you can go look at the show notes and at the frayradio.com and see this photo. When other prints have been found, you know, they can be 18 inches or, you know, upwards of that very easily, right? Which we would corroborate with something much larger. So it is of interest that you found kind of what essentially is a more, quote unquote, normal size track to us, which would then corroborate to possibly a juvenile or a teen, if you will, right? Yeah, you know, and that was kind of amazing to me, because in my mind, what I saw was a teenager, big, you know, 
Honestly, I saw that one once, and it and in the whole time I was like, "This is crazy! Like you're literally crazy, Miranda! Like it's hard to take that thought in your mind and think like this is a normal thought." But all the while, I'm trying to think about myths and trying to think about data and science, and so we took that into like even looking at the footprints we saw. And when we measured them, I think they were like 11 or 12 inches long. They weren't very big. I mean, they were small compared to what you would think a footprint would be, like a, a big footprint, footprint would be. But we were thinking like, you know, this is really amazing. This, this is the type of thing that you wouldn't see. And I thought maybe it was juvenile. Maybe it was younger. I mean, honestly, I, I don't even know anything about like what that could be other than what my instinct was to think that maybe it was a younger Bigfoot or something. I don't know. I mean, honestly, it, it blew my mind. And this Frisbee golf course, is this a very busy place? Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's in Western Mississippi. It's at Lincoln park. I think, I mean, don't quote me on that. But it's pretty busy, and we had been through there a million times before, and we'd never had any any suspicions, no no experiences, nothing. And then all of a sudden we go through, and then I'm having these crazy experiences and visions and everything else. Yeah, it was weird. What do you know? What county that's in, by chance, Amanda? I don't. So I would think it's probably Lincoln right. State Park or something like that. Lincoln. Okay. I do see a Lincoln on here. I was just on the BFRO.net to see if maybe there was a report on there. But I do see if it is, in fact, in Lincoln County, then there isn't any. Doesn't mean that there isn't any. It just means there's none reported, you know. So, but I can look up. Yeah. I can look that up later just just to double. I should have done that earlier. Sorry. Because I, I thought about that yeah. and I forgot. Just I always just like to corroborate it if I can because you just never know. But yeah, cool, exactly. cool story. But yeah, mm-hmm. and, but how do you begin to explain that? And you know, this might go back to you and and you know your family members seem to be very in tune of this kind of a thing. And especially once you hear uh, Stacy Brown, he'll be coming on. His his will air on Thursday. It's already out for patrons. But you know, we talked about maybe this kind of other side of Bigfoot and. Um, you know how maybe some people might be a little bit more in tune to whatever vibes they're putting out, right? And and people can take with that what they will. Uh, just like I've talked to Bobo, and he said it's not paranormal; it's just pre-normal. And you know, something Stacy and I talked about <laughs> was maybe you know maybe Bigfoot can just use a little bit more of their brains than we can. That was just it's something that I've said uh, many a times. But you know, if they can do that. And then they have somebody like you who's a little bit maybe more, you know, you're, you're open-minded. Maybe your pineal gland is not as calcified as somebody else's. I don't know. But maybe those two things married together, you can you can get this image of what's following you. And then you find this footprint. So the corroboration is kind of there. That's right. Like, it's like, I literally don't even know how to speak to it because... Honestly, some people can sense these things and other people just can't. And I can't help but think that, like, is there a family line thing? Is there something going on where, like, 
you know, and honestly, this sounds bad or something, but my family has been tumultuous and negative. Like from day one, we have a lot of drama and trauma that happens in our family. And I can't help but think that like maybe this type of stuff is just attracted to our family because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of negativity there, you know, and that makes sense to me. I, I don't know. I mean, there's no way to really prove that, but it makes sense to me that there may be some magnet, like some reason why all of this would be attracted to a certain family at a certain time, you know? Well, and I don't know. I don't really know why people would think it would be so weird that we would talk about other other aspects of Bigfoot. Be, here, and here's why. Because we have human beings that can remote view. And that's a real thing. And that's a real thing because the military has and probably still does use remote viewers. So, I, you exactly. know, it's not that weird to talk about this stuff. And I think Bobo's spot on with that stuff when he says it's not paranormal. It's just pre-normal. We just don't understand it yet. Ain't that the truth? Hell yeah. I love it, that. Yeah. So that that's kind of my stance on that. But uh, also, very cool story. I mean, at, at least for you, though. If you had a big one around, then you'd know, okay, Jason, let's just walk out the other way here. Because, you know, maybe that next time you're going to know, hey, I don't care if you're only nine holes in. We're out of here, dude. Let's let's do this. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like, even Jason was like, you don't want to talk about that big story. Like, I don't even know. Like, it was so <laughs> weird for both of us. You know what I mean? Like, you're always weirded out by paranormal things. Like, you never go right to that it's crazy and it's paranormal and that's never the first thought in your mind you always think like oh certainly there's a logical explanation right that's the place where you go and it's nice to have that support like yeah where he's like we'll we'll, 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 we'll go and we'll talk about this together and it's kind of amazing so i'm kind of excited about like if we ever did another interview or whatever we could talk about because god almighty we have seen so many ufos like you just don't even know like it's crazy there's so many more things to talk about like i don't even know what to say it's like literally insane i think my family just has one of those issues where it's like like we say it's like a magnet weird well amanda thank you so much i I knew it would be so fun to talk to you thank you shannon it's been wonderful i've been wanting to talk to you for so long Well, I'm so-and-so. I was given this name by my parents. I've been to such-and-such a college. I've done these things in my profession. I produce a little bark. Buddha says, forget it. That's not true. That's some story. That's all gone. That's all past. I want to see the real you you are now. But nobody knows who that is. Because we don't uh, know ourselves except through listening to our echoes consulting our memories. But then there's a real evil, and that again leads us back to this question. Uh, who are you? That is the real We shall see how they play with this exam. By the cohorts to get you to come out of your shell and find out who you really are.
example, are quite divided on this. They will say, no, we don't believe literally in reincarnation. That after your funeral, you know, you will suddenly become somebody different, living somewhere else. They will say, reincarnation means this, that if you sitting here now are really convinced that you're the same person who walked in at the door half an hour ago, you're being reincarnated. If you are liberated, you will understand that you're not. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. There is only the present. That's the only real you that there is. The Zen master Dogen put it this way. He said, spring does not become summer. First there is summer, and then there is spring. Who we are, we usually give a kind of recitation of a history. 